Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Hope your weekend was great. I hope you uh, just had a wonderful time and had some rest and some time with your family and the Lord and all that. So it's going to be uh, nice to get back to work today. I love Mondays. And we're going to have Patrick Albany join me in just a minute. And then Mary Jo Sharp is going to come on the program. She wrote a book called Why I Still Believe. She's a former atheist reckoning with the bad reputation Christians give a good God. She's got quite a story, and there's a lot of pain and suffering in her story, but it's uh, it's powerful. We're going to chat with her. That's all coming up in the first hour with a special second hour ahead, too. I'm going to tease that, uh, save it for a little bit, but it's going to be a great day, a great show. Let's get started with Patrick. Let's uh, take 60 seconds and bring him on. The holiday season is upon us, and with its fun and festivities and celebration often comes stress, busyness, and even sickness. So how do we stay happy and healthy this holiday season? I recently talked to Dr. Troy Spurl of Synapse Center for Health and Healing about this topic. And afterwards, I wrote down some of my thoughts on my blog. You can read more by searching the phrase Healthy Holidays at MyFaithRadio.com. Fresh content every single day at MyFaithRadio.com. Dad, I've decided to paint my room neon green. That's bold. Grandma, I think your cookie baking skills are slipping. Ooh, that's bolder. I know you might not agree with me, but God has changed my life, and I'd love to tell you about him. That's boldest, and the greatest change comes from the boldest moves. Welcome to Faith Radio, where you'll be equipped to boldly share your faith. And while hopefully others will change, it always changes you. Connecting faith to life, Faith Radio. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome to the show. So glad to be starting off the week on this fantastic Monday. You know I love Mondays. Always gives me a chance to... Uh, Find out what exactly went on over the weekend with my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, Patrick Albanese. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. I, uh, I'm back in, in my own home. It's you, nice to be home. You've been a road warrior for 10 days. You've been out uh, performing and working, and it feels nice to be home, doesn't it? A lot of windshield time, a yeah. lot of a time alone to think, and listen That's... to the same song over and over again. <laughs> time to think. Is that helpful or dangerous? What do you think when you think, when you get alone with your thoughts, what do you think about I think of amazing, just uh, hysterical scripts I could write, mm-hmm. amazing magical ideas, and I get home and I put them on paper. And go, that's not that good. Right. <laughs> do you think? Must... Every, do you think everyone's had a million dollar idea in their life? They've just never yes. got it flushed out. Yeah, I'm. You know, probably you you, you have these things. Where you say, oh, that's, I should really get to work on that, mm-hmm. and I. Know Oh, what the lack of motivation is, but maybe you really don't think it'll be a million dollars or, or what you really realize is you go, you know, that's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of hard work. Right. And, 
uh, that's going to require some time and maybe some initial investment. And, uh, oh, heck, what's on television? Right. <laughs> Put the mayonnaise in the tuna can. No, wait, no, wait. Feed the tuna mayonnaise. Call Starkist. Yeah, exactly. Well, mine was, you know, for people who only like just a little bit of mayonnaise on their sandwich is to put the mayonnaise in a spray bottle. Now, that was actually call- a good idea. spray anaise yeah. spray would be and just it's a, a fantastic. It's a little spray bottle, so you get it evenly throughout over the sandwich or the burger, and you don't have to overdo it, and, and you keep yeah. it nice and clean. spray anaise I think that's a great idea. Spray I'm not, right. And- I'm not investing, but I think it's a great idea. Well, I wish you would invest. I think that, you know, there's money for both of us to be made. Me first. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Well, here's an idea. You know how when you sometimes go to the uh, the grocery store, uh, not there, I don't know if it's a seasonal thing, but they'll say to you, yeah, they used to ask you for, you know, would you like to add a dollar or two to end world hunger or something like that? And you're going, gosh, that's a dollar, huh? <laughs> <laughs> But but they, then somebody came up with a really clever idea of just rounding up so you get this nice even bill of $27, mm-hmm. which I love that. But I noticed they never offered to round down and let you keep the extra. And I just think that that might be, you know, hey, every third person we round down and you get the extra money. I think that would really – That's an that, interesting it, trend. That's another idea that will fail. But I think it's great. Yeah. Well, it means I'm thinking. Yeah. It means I'm thinking. I'm no. putting it out. Yeah. Now, over the weekend, uh, I sent you something that I think we both found interesting. It was a little clip uh, by Jordan Peterson, who uh, is quite a popular author, and he was talking about happiness. And I thought it was uh, thought something we could chat about today. Uh, yeah. You you have a, a saying that um, I, I know that when you occasionally throw it out there, it'll um, – Rub me the wrong way. <laughs> Not other people. I don't know about them. But, but you know, it, no, it, it doesn't really rub me the wrong way. It was one of those that occasionally say, this is why I have Bill as a friend, because he's going to say something every now and then that sort of challenges um, how I think, but in a very kind and gentle way. <laughs> and it's uh, uh, when when people sometimes say, oh, God wants me to be happy, and your response is often, go ahead, you well, can say it. Well, yeah, I want you to be holy, but, uh, you know, I think happiness and holiness are two sides of a coin. I, you know, I think there is, uh, God desires us to be happy. I mean, you want your yeah. kids to be happy, don't you, in life? Absolutely. And you you hope that they're happy. I'm thinking of Isaiah chapter 52 In verse 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. I think, well, you know, God, uh, as our Father, I think delights in our happiness. I think there was happiness in the garden before the fall. I think ever since the fall, there has been this struggle for us to find ways to be happy, and we're always looking for substitutes that aren't God, in, try, in an effort to be happy, they all fail miserably. Yep. They, well, you know, it's the proverbial uh, square peg in the round hole, so to speak, where I often say I'm a round peg in a square hole. I fit, but I leak. <laughs> Which I think is very funny, and I think it's very appropriate. I remember that all the time. But our, yeah. our, our bigger um, goal is to have purpose and meaning in life. And then I think, I think C.S. Lewis might have said you, you find happiness in your peripheral vision. So if you're busy doing what God has called you to do, you kind of pause and look to either side and go, wow, I'm really happy right now. But you can't yeah. go out seeking it. Yeah. Now, and, and, and of course, you know, what is the definition of happiness? You could, like you were saying earlier, you, you know, you want your kids to be happy. Well, yes, I do. Um, 
But if you've ever uh, dealt with somebody that has an addiction problem, they could say, this is how I want to live my life. I'm happy like this. Mm-hmm. And you say, this isn't, this isn't my idea of happiness. And I'm not trying to inflict my beliefs on you, but I don't think this ends well. And so we got to be very careful about what we think it is will make us happy. And maybe that's why you like to say, you know, God has, uh, of course, a desire for us to be happy, but not at the expense of our soul. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't want to pursue something that you say, no, I think this is what makes, this is it. This is what makes me happy. It's like, that's not quite the path. So it's, it's a, it's, it can be pretty tough because we can lie to ourselves very effectively and say, I'm pretty sure this is God talking to me right now. You know? Yeah. I think people will often associate happiness with what I would also consider fleeting pleasures or you know, even sin, but that's not always the case. I mean, there's lots of happiness I have every day that have nothing to do with fleeting pleasures or sin. Right, right. Can't think of any right now, but you know what I'm, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's it's a, you never know. Uh, I, where was I when I was driving south from one of the cities? I kind of lost track, and I, I think it was when I was heading to Saint Cloud, and I what was the name of the lake? Big Lake. I think it was called Big Lake. Big Lake, yeah. And, yeah, and as as I'm driving past Wait, it, Clear, you know, Clear, Clear Lake or Big Lake, I think it was Big Lake. Okay, but, well, bigger you know, clear either way. Place and and maybe this will uh, help clear it up. Um, I, you know, Minnesota is the land of ten thousand lakes. Mm-hmm. But you know, I was driving by this. And I said, oh, "That is a big lake," <laughs> <laughs> and it was it, it was huge where I couldn't see the other side of it, and okay. it was kind of neat that in the you know the midst of all these millions of little lakes in Minnesota. But um, anyway, all of a sudden, for some reason, and I don't know if it was making me think I was at the ocean, even though it was 12 degrees outside, I don't know. There was some sun peeking up over a cloud, but there was a, a just this momentary beauty, and I had this, I don't want to call it an inner peace, but I said, wow, I'm just in a little mini state of bliss right at this moment. Wow. And the only thing I can ascribe it to is I'm looking at God's beauty, because there's nothing else really doing it. I'm not listening to anything in particular. I wasn't, you know, was listening to listening to motivating words. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, nothing like that. It was just I, I was struck by beauty and awe and grandeur, so to speak. And, it, and I would say that bliss was a side benefit because you didn't get up that day saying my aim is to go be full of bliss. No, you, no, you it just saw happened. it as a side effect. By the way, that is a big lake. Is it called Big Lake? I don't know. I should have written up. the name down, you know. But, yeah. you shouldn't, you're but if you couldn't see the other side, that's a big lake. That's a big lake. That's a big lake. They're not all ponds in Minnesota. No, they're out. not. They're not. All right, Patrick, yeah. let me take a, a short uh, break because, you know, we do that halfway through our discussion on Mondays. We take a break and we come right back. Mm-hmm. Patrick Albanese is my guest back home in the great state of Iowa, the prestigious town of West Des Moines or thereabouts. We'll take 90 seconds and be right back. Show. I'm so glad to be speaking to Patrick Albanese. You know, I speak to him every Mondays to get the week started, and I always look forward to it. We chat about what happens over the weekend, what's going on in the news, and other various and sundry things. So uh, as we continue down this happiness discussion, 
Um, I think what Jordan Peterson was saying in that video is happiness is a pointless goal. He said, don't compare yourself with other people. Compare yourself with who you were yesterday. Uh, oh, it's, 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 it's about the only thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's, it's amazing. I, I went to see him talk, and it was a wonderful talk. And um, I, I actually haven't purchased the book. I just read excerpts from it and talk to people that have it. I don't know. Oh, do I need another book? And it's funny because I just look at the chapters and I think, we don't need to be told this. And so in the body of his lecture, he even talked about this. He goes, there, there, there wasn't necessarily in my, in his own mind, a, a, you know, like, why am I even needing to write this down? It's, and it, it isn't because people didn't know it. It's because people forgot, you know, the, it's, uh, it's kind of like going back to the Bible and you say, I forgot. Yeah, that's I true. Forgot. I forgot what was in there. I forgot some of the promises made to me. I forgot some of the reasons to be of good cheer, to be a, a little happier today than yesterday. And gosh, look at those commandments. These are some really good ideas. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you're not cutting, you're, you're happy in what you have. Amazing yeah. that and, works. And of course, Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 12 talks about what God's word is. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And you start to realize that God will continue to reveal his word to you through the Holy Spirit as you live your entire life. So when you say that I forgot, maybe you didn't fully know it in the first place. When you go back and read it for the 19th time and you go, why is it this time that I'm reading this? Does it make so much powerful sense to me? And I want to say, because God is speaking to you in that moment. I would definitely agree, but I also think that, you know, sometimes we just don't want to know the truth. I mean, maybe the truth is simple and we say it can't be that easy. Or, um, you know, it's why do people, you know, resist the idea of uh, getting to know Christ in the first place? Why do they why do they just dismiss it out of hand and say, no, 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 I'm not interested in your I'm not interested in your your faith. I'm not interested in Jesus. I'm not interested in God. And you say, well, aren't you even the least bit curious? And you, as you know, a lot of people say, not at all. I know everything I need to know. And we scratch our heads and think, well, that's crazy. Why wouldn't you want to know more? Why wouldn't you want to explore the possibility that there is an answer that will speak to you? But we do it. Is that just a human thing that we say, I got this? Well, we can get into deeper theological waters on that one. But I do say, yeah, there's... You know, people who are disturbed by the sovereignty of God, God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and he doesn't consult you. So you go, huh, that's a pretty important person doing pretty amazing stuff. And, and what, what can I do except surrender to him? And there's a lot of people that say, I'm not in a position to want to surrender to God. Uh, I, I think that's... I do pretty well by myself, what a lot of people say. Not me. Uh, of course, I'm 100% surrendered. But, you yeah. know, it's I think there's more to it than that, too, because I, uh, as um, you know, wasn't there what was the TV commercial that, that was what's the catch? What's the catch? <laughs> yeah, oh, I so remember you know, that. Where's the beef? There was one that was what's the catch? There's no catch. And I, I, I think the fear can really be for people. It's like, what's the catch? Am I going to have to am I going to be in, you know, Tahiti or is that right. Haiti? Not uh, entirely. Yeah. Because Tahiti sounds nice this time. It does sound nice. But, you yeah. know, people people don't want the—what happens when people don't want the answer to be the answer? I mean, if you had a little bacteria that got into your body, let's call that, bac that bacteria uh, Clostridium tetani, which you 
have that in your system. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, we have one and one solution and one solution only. It's a tetanus shot. Do you want it? And yeah, you go, yeah. Yeah. Of course I want it. I want the one yeah. thing that's going to stop this bacteria from maybe killing me. In fact, I would add that most people won't even say, well, now, if I don't do the shot, what exactly will happen to me and how quickly? Yeah, lockjaw death. <laughs> yeah, lockjaw, then the death. It's yeah, just... yeah, and you won't be able to really talk uh, that last couple of days of life because your jaw will lock up. But, you know, it's there's yeah. only one, there's only one yeah. uh, thing that will solve sin, and that's uh, what Christ did on the cross. Yeah, the best you'll be able to, to muster up is oil can. That's exactly right. <laughs> Okay. No, you're right. And, and, you know, so we willingly, we willingly do it, but of course, what's the cost to us on it? And, uh, you know, it's whatever your deductible is really. <laughs> I think people really get fearful with religion that they're going to be asked to do something. And maybe they look at it and they go, am I going to be in Calcutta? Cause I just don't want to go to Calcutta. Yeah, I don't but, want to do the other Teresa thing. Right. But, but if you allayed those concerns I don't even want to call them concerns of mine, questions. I had questions of those years ago when we were having these discussions before I accepted Christ. And you said, you know, um, you know, don't go with thinking that you got to immediately change your thinking on things. Once God changes your heart, you'll approach things differently. You'll see things differently and see where that leads. And it was amazing as at least I feel my eyes were opened to uh, looking at some of the same things I looked at for years and said, oh, gosh, why am I, I'm seeing it differently. Why, why is that? It was, it was, I don't want to call it miraculous. It was uh, certainly amazing to me that I thought, how could I have been so wrong, yet so convinced I was so right? How's that possible? I will rewind and say, I think that that to me feels like something miraculous because you were once dead in your sins and then you became alive in Christ. So you now had the Holy Spirit convicting you of what was right and what was wrong, and it gave you the ability to see truth in a way you'd never seen before. To me, that's a miracle. Yeah, it is. But when it's happening to you, you you think miracle, but you you also think you're a little upset with your former self because mm-hmm. you say you were, <laughs> you were so certain, you were so sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then were. that rattles everything else because you say, what other things did I believe yes. that I was wrong about? What oh. else am I wrong about? Yeah, makes you, makes you panic wrong? a little bit, doesn't it? It does make you panic mm-hmm. just a little bit. Yeah, but happiness, if it's fleeting and unpredictable, and if you make happiness your aim, uh, what happens when it doesn't hit? Well, then does, you're does, a failure. What? Then you're a failure, right? You, you have to oh. say to yourself, I have failed at happiness. Yeah. It's got to be something bigger than that. Yeah, I get skeptical about this happiness thing. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's elusive, isn't it? Because yeah. as you as you go through life and you you know sometimes you acquire the things that you said were going to make you happy, and you get them and you say, well, I mean, I'm not unhappy, but it it isn't like I wake up every day, you know, singing zippity doofda. <laughs> I don't quite do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you do it you a know, couple days a week, though, don't you? couple of days a week, usually yeah. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, okay. I allow a rest day <laughs> between, and I take the full weekend off. Oh, good. Football. Yeah. But um, when I was uh, doing this tour, in fact, we were talking to some young kids in a couple of the places, and, you know, they're in these small towns in Minnesota, and yeah, boy, oh boy, would they just love to have, uh, you know, a life on the road in being in show business, and, you know, gosh, you're performing on stages, and people love you, and you want to encourage 
people and you say, well, it's just a thing. You know, you'll, you will get used to it like anything else because that's something I used to wish for. And now I can get confused as to what town I'm in and say, I really don't remember where I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. How weird is that? Because I'm in a whole new place and I have to focus on here and I'm in a hotel that I don't like yeah. and don't have any restaurants here. And you say, okay, so I hit the stage and you have that thing that you said was going to make you happy, but you say, well, that's my job. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that it's not, you know, unpleasant. It just means that it's my job. And as a result, it will become the norm. And now you'll need something new. Yeah. But I also see Patrick and I'll make this observation from experience. And I know you well enough and long enough to say that you found great happiness in your peripheral vision. When you're up there performing and having um, a purposeful night of work, you look to your side and you go, wow, this is this. I feel happy. This is fun. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that changed over the years, and and it was just by, you know, the good fortune of getting to work so much, was that uh, when the job, when it became the job, when it became the norm, sure, I enjoy hearing laughter and applause, but uh, it morphed into uh, enjoying the audience's joy. That, you know, it, it was not, not that I didn't care about the audience before, but that became the prime focus. Like, I know these people are here to forget their troubles today. Mm-hmm. They don't care about my problems. And they're here to experience some joy. So let's see if I can, you know, be a part of that. And what a lucky thing to be able to be a, a part of somebody that can bring any kind of joy to anybody else, even if it's for just a few hours. And as you know, you, you have experiences over the years where people will walk up to you and say, we had one the other day. A woman said, well... Uh, I haven't, I, I went to the show. Um, we went every year with my dad and he passed away nine years ago and haven't been back. And this is my first time back. And you brought it all back as if he was still here. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. And you go, Oh my gosh, that's why I'm here today. Yeah. It's, it's almost an emotional connection. It's more than just a show for them. It was something that emotionally connected with them on a deep level. And I think that's where you find real happiness, real joy. It was certainly joyful for me, you know, yeah. and, and you've got dozens of those. We we could fill a whole hour with, you know, telling stories of, wow, I just showed up for work one day. And <laughs> I'm sure other people have that, you know, they're, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're the guy at the, at the filling station that says somebody came in and it just, just was this life changing moment. And we love those stories because we say, I've had something like that. I, yeah. I love those stories. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Patrick, thanks for uh, the chat today. It's always nice to uh, get Monday started with you. It's uh, nice to start things a little bit on the light side and also to uh, just sort of talk about what happened over the weekend and what's uh, in the week ahead. So thanks for uh, being so faithful and doing the show every week. And, you know, I always like to leave the listener with just a a small piece of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And uh, today's wisdom is proximity isn't everything, but it's close. Yeah, I like. (laughs) All right. Have a great day. Thanks. Patrick Albanese has been my guest. I will take a little break and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to be welcoming Mary Jo Sharp. She uh, is a former atheist who came to faith. I love those stories because they're so rich. And she uh, first started uh, encountered apologetics in her own spiritual search while she was seeking answers. What a wise thing to do. Do the study, do the work. And now she's an assistant professor of apologetics at Houston Baptist University and founder and director of Confident Christianity Apologetics Ministry. Mary Jo, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. You kidding? This is great. Now, your book is called Why I Still Believe, A Former Atheist Reckoning with the Bad Reputation Christians Give a Good God. That's often the case, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's... It's, the book is, uh, you know, entails my story of of dealing with this and in, and engaging in my Christian faith in spite of all of the hypocrisy and judgmentalism that I encountered. Yeah, start with the athe- the atheism part. It's interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, so the atheism part is interesting to me too. I bet. <laughs> it's um, so it's not that I was a hostile atheist or an angry atheist, which is many times what people think of when they hear the word atheist. Um, and, you know, and that, that sort of makes sense because a lot of what we see in social media is what's been backed by the new atheists and, the, and they're very aggressive against religion. But I grew up uh, in a family that did not go to church. Uh, they stopped going to church when I was very little. And we, we lived in a part of the country that is not culturally Christian. I grew up in the Portland, Oregon area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I like to tease. I eventually moved, made my way down to Houston, Texas, and so I like to tease Texans, and I, I tell them the difference between Portland and Houston culturally is, you know, we don't have a church on every street corner, nor a Tex-Mex restaurant. And <laughs> I lived my, in Houston my, for a while, so I know that to be true. <laughs> right? You know, there are churches, gas stations, Tex-Mex restaurants everywhere. So, uh, joking aside, I just I grew up in an area that. Uh, people didn't really talk about their faith as much, and it was much more private. So what I knew of Christianity was what I really gleaned from TV and the movies. And that's pretty shallow stuff. Mm-hmm. So what what I did get in my childhood, though, was my family loved sciences. They loved the sciences. They loved the outdoors. They loved the arts. And so I had this rich cultural upbringing in nature and science shows and going out into nature. My dad took us camping all the time and taught us to love uh, the beauty of the outdoors. He also, he also, that was like what we watched was nature and science shows like Carl Sagan and uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild America. So I had this, this rich appreciation for the beauty of the natural realm. And then we were a musical family. Uh, we all play, most of us played instruments or play instruments. And so I grew up with an appreciation of the arts and in, in seeing this great beauty that mankind could create. Uh, and one, and began wondering, as I got older as a teenager, what is all this for? You know, I've been told through uh, the shows that I was watching with my dad and things that we encountered in the sciences, that the Earth is just in a small planet that's in a far off corner of the universe. We're kind of, you get the idea that we're relatively insignificant in this vast universe. And as I got older, I began to wonder, well, what does that mean for me as a human being? And for how does that make sense of the experiences that I'm having? And I began to think that this, there must be more, there must be something else. And I began to wonder, does my life have meaning, purpose, and value? And how do I know that? And 
Um, what is that that infuses my life with meaning, purpose, and value? Where do you get things like that? Now, I, I wouldn't have framed it that way because I was a, a older high school student and young college student, but I was thinking on those kinds of things. Why do I think I matter? And who says I matter? And where does that ultimately come from? And I think that was what was pushing me on to search for answers to those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. So Mary Jo, when you grow up in a family that isn't going to church and you are are you know, you're calling yourself an atheist, but not an aggressive one or a hostile one. How does the family determine what is good and evil, what is right and wrong? Uh, how does that all get worked out? Yeah, that's a great question. They, we didn't talk about it a lot. Okay. Uh, we, were, <laughs> we were sort of an average American family. Uh, I have great parents, but, you know, they didn't say when they were laying down the law, like you're not allowed to be out past this time or you shouldn't do this or whatever. They weren't saying because in, you know, conceptical theory or you know, they're not going into sort of a background like this is how we ground what we know is true. They're not saying things like, well, the Bible says this mm-hmm. because that's not how they do it. They're just saying things like I remember my mom saying the friends you keep or how you will be judged. So you'll be judged by your friends, you know, and, and what the kinds of things that they do. But she didn't lay down like a foundation for that. So I I would say I don't know how they were grounding it yeah. because it wasn't talked about. Yeah. And then the morality part, uh, you know, um, your parents were nice people, so they probably taught you nice things. But, you know, without without the constructs of Scripture, um, your morality was shaped by, I guess, what they felt was appropriate to tell you, right? Yeah, it would be a cultural background. Yeah. And I've, okay. I've actually said, you know, my atheism was more cultural. I was more of a, like a non-theist. I just didn't believe and mm-hmm. we didn't, but we weren't talking and grounding these ideas right. anywhere. Now, what was it like when you would, you know, make friends with people in high school or, or even in grade school when other friends would be talking about God and their experiences at church and youth camp? And didn't that seem appealing to you at, at all? It seemed weird. <laughs> <laughs> they were nice. Like, I love my friends, my Christian friends growing up. Um, but I didn't really think of them as my Christian friends. So they were just people that I knew, and mm-hmm. they also happened to go to church. So I, we didn't get into, com- like I said, my my culture, we're not real talkative about our beliefs. We're not really in your face. Uh, so people didn't say like, hey, and you know why I think this way? Because Jesus is my Savior. They didn't say things like that. So I viewed them as pe- my friends. They happened to go to church, but I, I didn't put anything more on top of that. Mm-hmm. So Mary Jo, when did you finally kind of cry out, hey, God, are you there? Tell me about you. Well, I had a high school band director who I greatly respected. And it, so part of my story is that I did go to college to become a music teacher myself. So this this was a gentleman that I really respected, you know, for his profession and then also for how he taught students a love of music. And I just thought he was an all around great guy. And he was a Christian who was burdened for me, very burdened for me. And he he actually tells me we keep in contact. And he said, like, he just could not. It was one of those things where he wasn't sleeping well at night. And he was just constantly burdened to share his faith with me, even though he'd never shared with anybody before me. So he, my senior year of high school, he took a a leap of faith (laughs) and he gave me a Bible, an NIV one year Bible and said, when you go off to college, you're going to have hard questions. I hope you'll turn to this. He also prayed with me and uh, he says that I did not receive this well, (laughs) which (laughs) 
I don't remember. Yeah, he does, though. He does. Yeah, he actually was worried that he says, I thought you were going like, to turn me into the principal or something. And I didn't. Uh, he actually hit me at that time when I was having all those questions about, you know, why do I say I matter? What makes me think I matter? And do I just live and die? And that's all there is. And all this beauty is for nothing. Ultimately, it just dies with the death of the universe. And I was thinking those kind of things when he hit me with that. So because of my respect for him, um, I began to read that Bible. And I started looking at it. Was a, since it was an NIV one year, it had Psalms and Proverbs and Old Testament, New Testament every single day which, you know, I started reading it faster than the daily reading plan because it just was not what I was expecting. It wasn't the caricatured version of Christianity I saw on um, the TV, such as The Simpsons, nor was it like the overly pious view that some of the really old movies I liked would show of people, of clergy. Um, it was just very real. It seemed very historical, very biographical, specifically talking about Luke's gospel, and how he just says he's investigating all these things carefully so that his friend can know with the certainty of the things he's been taught. And then he moves into, and by the third chapter, we're seeing his, he moves into this deep explanation of setting down what's going on in a certain time, in a certain place in history. He says in the 13th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and then he gives us all these governing offices and people and place, places. So to me, this very greatly contrasted for one, what I thought it was going to be. Actually, I didn't really know what I thought it was going to be. But two, it just seemed very real. And as I was reading and I was, I was gaining um, a sense of what the biblical teachings were about, and specifically what Jesus was teaching, I came to find out that this was the source that I was, this was that intelligence behind all the beauty and the goodness and truth that I was seeing. So if I thought there was justice and injustice in the world, this was explaining to me, yeah, there is, and this is you know, why it exists. Yeah, Mary Jo, you're not afraid to put a couple of things side by side on the grill. When you take like the beauty of salvation and you lay that uh, alongside the ugliness of human hypocrisy and evil, you've got yourself uh, tension. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And in your book, what... yeah, go ahead. No, go carry on. <laughs> yeah, in your book, you, you're gonna you're gonna help uh, listeners and readers um, deal with questions they might be having. Things like, uh, isn't there too much pain and suffering to believe? Or is it okay to have doubts? Um, you know, and it seems to be a lot of people's story. They need to grapple with these issues and they need to examine the evidence and come to their conclusions based on the evidence of Scripture. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book was because many times apolog apologetics and apologists, we... we we get into our apologetics where we're like presenting arguments to people and we sometimes we can get very philosophical or whatever, but we don't share with people how these arguments actually are then applied into our daily lives or how we utilize them. We, we don't necessarily let them into our mind to say, what do I struggle with and how do these arguments affect me? And one of the things I wanted to do with the book was to demonstrate that for me, it, the apologetics arguments showed show me that God is very real. And so that there is this tension in living, that there is the beauty of God's salvation for us, but it's going to coexist alongside the situation that, that we're in, which is we're in a fallen world mm -hmm. in which we are committing acts of evil. And even the Christians, 
even the ones who say, hey, I'm saved by Jesus's, you know, Jesus' blood covers me and I have God's grace and mercy on my life. Even those people continue to do things that are evil. And so there's going to be this tension because we have the already, which is that Jesus has come to save us. But we also have the not yet, which is that resurrection is coming in the future. So uh, there is definitely a tension that we live in. And I think it's well explored through some of these arguments uh, that we have in apologetics. Yeah, Mary Jo, you raise a provocative question in your book. Does atheism explain the human experience better than Christianity can? Yes, (laughs) I do raise that question. Say more about that. Yeah. So for me, as I was disappointed and heartbroken by what I found in the church, um, which was that people were people, no matter where you went, they were just regular people. I was naively hoping that I would find this group of people who were you know, just adamantly pursuing goodness, truth, and beauty with their whole lives. And when I found that that was not always the case. In fact, I found more oftentimes than not that people weren't adhering to what they said they professed uh, in the Bible, that I began to wonder, you know, why did I believe and what, what was it that I believed? And I realized I didn't have good answers for things like, does God exist? So I, as I went back and started looking for answers to my questions and to my doubts, uh, I began to engage in some of the uh, atheist Christian debates and see what the arguments were. And I I tried to find things that, and debates and arguments that were somewhat atheist approved, you know, like I tried to find what they were saying were good arguments. And so I even went in like the first debate that I listened to, I I went into it thinking, you know, I kind of hope that the atheist arguments make more sense. And in the book, I say that they're smarter, sleeker, and sexier. Now, that wouldn't necessarily make them true, but I was hoping, in some sense, I was hoping that the atheist arguments would be true uh, because then I could move on from the church. I could be liberated and I could get rid of this community that was causing me pain and I could just step out of it. Um, But what I found when I started listening to the arguments was that I was disappointed with the atheist arguments. I was disappointed in that they did not well explain my experience of being human. And and I'll give a couple examples of what I mean by that. But it, it was really, it was sort of aggravating, upsetting, because when I encountered those first debates, for one, I was encountering all these philosophical arguments for Christianity I'd never encountered before. I'd never heard in a church. And that made me upset about my Christian education. Like, what are we learning in the church? I, I kept thinking to myself, you know, like uh, later on, I was thinking, no wonder people walk away because they don't know the depth of the philosophical uh, arguments for Christianity. They don't know what they're leaving. Mm. And, and then on the other side, uh, when I was looking at the atheist arguments and I was disappointed, I was thinking to myself, this doesn't explain things um, in a way that I can commit to it. So I, I now I kind of wonder when people deconvert, what are they leaving to? And I said I'd give a couple of examples of this. So um, two of the things that stood out for me was the grounding for things, like you mentioned early on, what is the grounding for goodness? Yeah. What is the grounding for good and evil? when you step away from a Christian worldview. All right, I'm, I'm going to hit pause at that point, Mary Jo, and then we'll take a break and then come right back and pick up exactly where we left off. Do not put your finger right on that spot, okay? All right, we'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the show. Mary Jo Sharp is my guest. She's written a book called Why I Still Believe, a former atheist reckoning with the bad reputation. Christians give a good God. Uh, right before break, Mary Jo, we were trying to get to the arguments uh, from atheists that weren't very satisfying. Yeah, there were there were two areas that specifically I was I'm going to mention, which are the um, goodness, grounding goodness. Uh, so good and evil. Where do we get these concepts from, and what? How do we ground them with meaning? And then the other idea is our human reasoning as trustworthy. We have to ground our rationality somewhere as well. And for me, looking at atheism, which you know. Richard Dawkins actually really well explains in his book, River Out of Eden, he talks about the universe is void. At its base, it is void of such ideas, such concepts as good and evil, justice and injustice, and all these things that relate to morality. The universe is actually void of that. It is basically what we are is the result of this evolutionary process. Um, and everything is reducible to our DNA. He says that DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. So in that sort of a worldview, for one, I can't know that good and evil exist. Perhaps they are byproducts of a survival mechanism you know, through natural selection that we have come to a point where we think some things are good or we think some things are evil, but this is just a byproduct of that survival mechanism and there's no truth to these things. So whether I think it is good to save the environment or whether I think it is good to treat people with respect, that's all just survival mechanism. There's no ultimate truth to it. And that was one thing that really bothered me because as I looked at some of the things in my life, like I could love my mother or I could hate my mother. Well, according to Dawkins, this would just be the result of my DNA, of the configuration of my atoms. It's not a choice. I'm not freely choosing to love her or freely choosing to hate her. Rather, this is a result of uh, my material matter and the way that it's arranged. That didn't make sense of my human experience um, because I know for me and, and for most people, we can't even get through a single day without having a should or ought thought in our mind that I should do this because it's good or I, you know, I should brush my teeth because it'll keep cause me to not have cavities. We have these shoulds and oughts that there's some kind of standard out there that is good. And that is something that is across the board through time and uh, space and human history. So that was one of the things that atheism lacked a grounding for the concepts of good and evil, where that's coming from. And then the other was the failure to demonstrate human reasoning as trustworthy. Again, going back to um, Richard Dawkins and his explanation of the universe, he says that there's no, you know, there's no justice, no injustice. There's no rhyme or reason to things. DNA just is. So one of the growing concerns I have with atheism was that the source of a human's rationality was not a rational source. It wasn't a personal source, nor did it have any purpose. Rather, reason was the result of non-rational. This is a, a quote from Ken Samples. He says, reason is the result of non-rational and impersonal process without the purpose, without purpose consisting of a combination of genetic mutation, variation, and environmental factors. So I thought if, if non-rational sources produced my rationality, then why should I trust it? And from an atheist perspective, um, I, you know, I, I really couldn't. I couldn't trust my rationality. Perhaps you know, it would give me things that were good for survival, but that doesn't mean that my rationality is giving me truth. It just means that whatever is fit for survival 
is what it's going to give me. So I really couldn't accept that as well. That was too much of a void because it would under it would seem to undercut atheism as well, since you couldn't know that atheism was true, because that might just be a byproduct of your survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. So those were the kinds of things that left me with too large of a void to be able to commit to atheism as a worldview. Mary Jo, you've done some thinking. <laughs> I guess you could say that. Yeah. All right. Another thing you dealt with in your book is the truth of Christianity. How can it matter when the behaviors of Christians are reprehensible? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the tough one, right? We're that's we're getting into yeah, yeah. It's an ex the experience of Christianity. A lot of times is painful, and um, that that's the problem. Is that you know though Jesus, we have Jesus praying for us in the garden in John seventeen, and he's asking God that we would all be one, and and the reason he cites is you know, may they all be one, and it's so that the world will know that he's God's son. And then we look out at the situation of Christianity today, and that is so not the case. Um, we're not one, and we, we're very good at attacking each other in large ways publicly, as well as in small ways by not, you know, not even trying to become Christ-like in our own lives. Um, so ignoring the sanctification process for ourselves. I've heard so many Christians say, me and Jesus, were good. You know, we we got together back then and we're good. And, and it's used as an excuse for their vices, for not growing mm -hmm. and not intending to grow. And, and stay away from me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't, don't ask I don't me want, any more questions. Me and Jesus are good. Yeah. I don't want to be discipled. I'm good at where I'm at. I don't need anything else. Um, and it, it's, an, you know, for me, a lot of times it, it's an excuse to just stay in my vices. So what I saw uh, was that though Christians could behave in opposition to the truth of, that they professed, that didn't actually negate the truth. It doesn't invalidate the, the propositional truth of Christianity, whether it's true or not. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to discover for myself, do I think this is true? And if so, why do I think it's true? Um, an example I give in my book is that when I have my baby girl, when I first come out of the hospital with her, I walk out of the hospital into this cloud of cigarette smoke. And I'm just, I'm, I'm looking around like, who, where's this cigarette smoke coming from? Why is this right here in front of the doors as I'm leaving the hospital? And I'm looking off to the right and there's a group of doctors and nurses who would absolutely tell me and testify that they believe that smoking causes cancer. It would, you know, it was harmful to human life. And they would give me the whole, if I were back in the hospital with them, they would give me this whole litany, but here they are smoking. And I thought, ah, there it is. People can profess one thing, even when they don't live like it's true. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not true. It doesn't negate the truthfulness of smoking causing cancer, right? It just, it just means that they're choosing a lifestyle and rebellion to their own beliefs. And that profoundly impacted me in seeing Christianity in this mess of living, right? That there mm -hmm. are always going to be people in a fallen world who do not demonstrate the truth of Christianity in their own lives, even if they profess it to be true. Yeah. But despite the fact there's going to be lots of hypocrisy in the world, um, it's never going to ever negate the, the grace and truth of Christ. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we just have about a minute left, Mary Jo. Uh, tell me a little bit about the 
Confident Christianity Apologetics Ministry you have? Yeah, that's a ministry I didn't intend to have, but here we are. <laughs> it's a ministry that developed um, out of my own search for answers to questions, and it's um, online. I, I actually started it up as a blog, and it started as a blog to defend the resurrection, but now today exists as a blog with a lot of resources, connections to other websites, some of my former debates with Muslims, and uh, there's a lot on there for you to you know work, dig through and enjoy. And so if you go to confidentchristianity.com, you can enjoy those, what we've got there for you to help you defend your own faith. Yeah. And Mary Jo's book is called Why I Still Believe, A Former Atheist Reckoning with the Bad Reputation Christians Give a Good God. Mary Jo Sharp has been my guest. Mary Jo, thanks for doing the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. No, it's been great. I look forward to doing this again. All right. Me too. All right. Thanks. We'll take a little short break and then we'll be back with hour two. Can't wait. Uh, hour two, we're going to talk to Gary Thomas. And his book is When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.